ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And it's B-Sides. We're back to B-Sides. We're almost back to the regular Uncanny X-Men. Remember that? Back to B-Sides? Or I feel like we're on like G-Sides at this point. Like we're on a a 7LP set on the last (laughs) side of the last record. Well, we took a little detour last time with uh, some Z-Sides that... But these are these are actually these are actually B sides. These are actually things that happened at the same time as the last issue of X Men that we read, whatever that was. When was that? It was probably like four episodes ago. I don't know. Good lord! It was X. It was X Men two seventy six was the last one we covered. And next time we'll be covering two seventy seven because this is the last round of B sides. What do you want to start with? Well, uh, I guess, I don't know that it really matters, but maybe we'll just kick it off with X-Factor number 67. This was a mess. Okay, let's do it. So, the let's talk about the cover for a minute. It's a bad cover. <laughs> it's a Jim, in my opinion, it's a Jim Lee-influenced uh, cover, but who is it by? By Will Spartacio. Okay, is that his little little mark on the side? Because I can't. I think so. Okay, I think that is his name in another language. I'm assuming. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I I don't actually know. I mean, eventually, Will's is going to become a, a pretty good penciler and cover artist, right? He uh, is one of the the mainstays of the Image Group. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so he's one of the guys. I don't he's know. One of the big guys. I don't know if this is like early Will's. I mean, we've seen him before, haven't we? Yeah, we've we've seen. I think he's been doing the past. He 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 might have done an issue of X Men, as just as a uh, fill in for Jim Lee. Uh, he's definitely done the last few issues of X Factor. He's uh, you know, overall I like him. Just this is what is bad. It's bad, I guess, is the the lesson to be taught here. <laughs> Cyclops is definitely getting his '90s influenced hairstyle, so that's kind of exciting. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that, but you oh know. well, get used to it because get used to it. <laughs> here it comes. Just I about- just want to know what's going on with Cyclops's crotch. Did he just get bored and he was like, "I'm just gonna have to color this in"? Yeah, so this is the inker's problem, and the inker is like, "What are you doing? I'm just gonna." <laughs> it's like somebody took like the uh, the paint bucket thing from Photoshop or Paint and just dumped black right there. I mean, I guess it's a it's supposed to be a shadow, but he's. He's really oddly hunched over yeah. in such a way that both his his abs and his very thick thighs are casting a shadow inward on his crotch. And I don't know how one would contort themselves into that position, but that's what Cyclops is doing. <laughs> but it also jives with all the other shadows on his body, which is like, okay, yes. those look like normal shadows, but then you just have crotch shadow. Crotch shadow. Yeah, coming well, to, coming to X Men soon. Crotch Shadow. Maybe Wills is like, I don't like drawing crotches, so I'm just gonna black this out. It's true. There are no other crotches on this. You could argue uh, that Beast this, has got something image. going on here. He is definitely in a position where we should see a crotch, but we don't. <laughs> oh, I guess he's wearing his blue spandex, so he's got a crotch. All right. It, it is weirdly. Unless you zoom in on it, I can't really tell what's going on there. But yeah, it's just the blue spandex. And then you've got Marvel Girl and Angel uh, unceremoniously in the background. The cover says, featuring the incomparable, incomparable, inhumans, incomparable, 
in humans, and there are in fact a few incomparable in humans on the cover, uh, whose names are Black Bolt, Gorgon, which I'm not sure which one is Gorgon to be honest. I just know that's a name. Yeah. Um, and let's say Fleetwood Mac is the third one. Okay. I don't know. I don't know which one that one is either. Uh, I know who Black Bolt is though. He's the guy flying with the frilly wings up in the uh, underneath Archangel. Correct. I don't know which one Gorgon and Fleetwood Mac is either. They're definitely those one of those two that are coming out of uh, Cyclops's thighs. <laughs> and Iceman is back there too on a nice slide. So yeah, let's. Gosh, you know, I, I couldn't really remember how this left off, but I'm going to assume uh, that ship blasted off into space because that's sort of how we begin. Covers it. It says ship took off to save humanity but couldn't save the occupants inside of itself um so it blew up i believe was the last thing we saw okay and so we've got pieces and parts of ship uh the x-men are x-factor sorry x-factor are are floating in space Oh, yes. Beast is uh, Beast has all of the little tendrils connected to Ship because wasn't he like tapped in to help fly or something or communicate yeah, or something like connected that? Connected to some sort of I I was never really sure what it was, but mm-hmm. yeah, he was connected to Ship. So let's just assume because I don't know that we actually see it that uh, they're in some pocket of oxygen that survived this explosion. They're maybe about to die. Um, Ship reaches out, I guess, telepathically to Jean and lets her know that a spacecraft is approaching. And it happens to be an Inhumans spacecraft. Right. Because they're close to the moon and the Inhumans live on the moon now, as they tell us. Yes. And so they transport X-Factor onto the ship complete with Sergeant Charlotte Jones. Remember her? Yeah, I had forgotten she was a part of this, but uh, there she is. There was a moment where I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. So, Luckily, they name tag her right away. Yeah. Uh, everybody's okay. Uh, they have a quick little conversation, and we discover that the people that they had fought the last issue, whose name I forgot... Um, the Riders of the Storm. I yeah. don't think we knew that until this issue. Yeah, Synapse, I feel like, was the only name drop. Uh, but those are cousins cousins of some of these Inhumans. I guess they're Inhumans, yeah. Yeah. Or or part of the, the Guard. or They're affiliated with the Inhumans somehow. Uh, and I believe these Inhumans are somewhat surprised to hear that they attacked X-Factor. uh, Jean Grey says something about the synapse Mm -hmm. having tried to fry her brain and then uh, what's her face? Crystal storms out of the room um, because she's upset about that and it turns out that synapse is actually her cousin I guess. Yes. Um, And then we see a word that I feel like we're going to see a lot more and I don't remember its relation to anything but file Ascani beginnings, uh, and I feel like this is all eventually going to be tied into Cable. I don't recall. I know, yeah, I agree with you. Ascani is a thing that we will never get enough of. <laughs> but I, it seems like here it's a character, and I always thought it was like a family or something like that. But 
I guess we'll find out. Maybe it changes as as we as we move on. Yeah, it appears to be this uh, lady. It's the woman that we thought was possibly Rachel and from an alternate future, which could still be. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's got red hair. That's right. That's right. It's all sort of coming back. It's been a long time since we uh, did the last issue of X Factor. But yeah, that is nice. That is definitely true. She's from the future, right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this, and this presumably is the future where she's going back in time. We see her talking to some guy who's going to send her back in time. Mm-hmm. They've located the chosen one who is uh, Nathaniel Summers. I don't know what his name is anymore. Christ- but... Christopher Nathaniel Xavier Summers. Yeah, sure. A bunch of names. Scott's <laughs> Charles. son. And um, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna send her back in time, and they do. And it's Chris Claremont doing the dialogue, so it's very oh a very wordy travel through time as she uh, reintegrates on arrival. Sounds so neat, so simple, so easy, just like death and resurrection. Okay, I'm not as lucky as some who went before me. I don't end up alive in any organic sense. I'm energy still, cast for convenience in the shape of a woman. I was held together pretty much by force of will. Even stubborn as I am, that'll only take me so far. I mean, you know, it's a good job on Chris Claremont for making this more interesting than it is. But yeah, she just travels back to the past. Is it the correct path? uh, Past? Well, I'm assuming it's where we first met her so didn't count on screwing up right off and making matters worse so i was a little confused as to like is she stuck in the wrong alternate past uh or is she in our past or or what but one thing we i want to go back and point out uh because we 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 skipped over this the not that we normally do credits on these, but the credits are a little interesting this is brought to you by lee and portacio Portacio, uh, doing the plot, which is interesting because it's really sort of solidifying Jim Lee as the new architect of X, and Claremont is reduced to words. So Lee, Portacio got together, said this is what we're going to do. Portacio probably drew it out, and they're like, here you go, Chris. We don't want to deal with these words. You figure it out. (laughs) Uh, And then, yeah. Boy, did he ever. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of dialogue. It's very Chris Claremonti, but he's also sort of working with, you know... Garbage. Con- <laughs> very convoluted uh, plot here. Yeah, so it's not, his, it's not entirely his fault. Doing the best with what he's got. At this point, Will Spartacio's storytelling skills are not... Like, like I can't imagine trying to figure this out. I mean, I guess Chris has the advantage of having a loose plot handed to him by... Mm-hmm. Jim Lee and Will Spartacio, but if I was given this comic book without that, I would just be like, I don't understand what's going on. You need to explain this to me. Right. I'm also assuming maybe uh, that Claremont and Lee are are probably still on talking terms terms and probably still engineering. Like this is, we want to get X-Factor here. We want to get X-Men here so that we can line up and then the big summer blockbuster of X-Men number one can happen. So... They're probably loosely understanding, like, we need to kill three issues of X-Factor stories so that we can get to where we need to be. What are we going to do? I don't know. How about Inhumans and this really weird uh, 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 Scott's son storyline? Okay. So here we are. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it's still like the Marvel way, right? Doesn't the, the artist always have a lot to do with the plot? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the conversation. And then Will Sportacio just drew it. And Claremont's like, oh, okay. Well, like, sort of know they're, what we're doing here, but there's a lot just, of weird panels that are disconnected. Calling it out now. They're they're finally calling it out. Like, the artist does the plots. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe, uh, maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. Maybe. I feel like from some of the stuff that I had read, uh, cl- earlier Claremont collaborations with other uh, artists were a little bit more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Collaborative. I would imagine so. I like the, the initial Marvel method, I guess, was the Stanley would send over like a basic, a plot outline to Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby would then draw the entire comic based on that. And then Stanley would write out all the words. Right. Right. So I would assume that it sort of followed that, but this, this seems to be shifting it a little bit more to, yeah. Um, to more of the artist side, which, you know, whatever. It's all good. For sure. So we get a bit of a... Well, I guess the uh, uh, Riders of the Storm show up now uh, in the Inhumans' ship. Well, wait. Now you're jumping way ahead. Oh, sorry. There, There's, there's a lot page. of words on this page. <laughs> and the only thing that I wanted to mention was that apparently... In the split second before the X-Men died, Ship and Beast worked out a plan. You mean X-Factor? Ship. Oh, yes. X-Factor. Before X-Factor died, Ship was uh, came up with a split second plan that they were, he worked out with Beast. And I guess the plan was to get picked up by these people. Sure. humans. It's not a very good plan, but. All right. Here's the plan. We're going to get picked up by a foreign ship. Good plan. Now All right, <laughs> straight out of uh, that 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 British thing that I can't remember the name of now. Doctor Who? No, no, no. So long. Thanks for all the universe. Oh, uh, uh, Hitchhiker's okay. Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. Holy yeah. cow! Holy cow! Exactly. My brain, my brain is fried. Well, that's only because they had an improbability drive. I don't. Maybe ship has an improbability drive. Uh, maybe I think in this case they just got lucky. Ah, okay. But I don't know. So we also get a little bit of dialogue that Apocalypse this issue will feature Apocalypse. I think the previous issues featured Apocalypse. I can't even remember. So Apocalypse is the one who kidnapped all of the uh, Inhumans that are gone. Right. Um, and yes, Apocalypse was in the previous issues. And there was that there was the one issue where he trained all of the guys in some sort of like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Danger yeah. room scenario. Where it was like, here's what, here's here's who you're gonna take out. You know what? Instead of calling it the danger room, apocalypse called it the apocalypse room. Okay. Which you know, danger room, apocalypse room. It's it's more dangerous than the danger room. It's apocalyptic. It's clever, Adam. Works on two <laughs> levels. It's apocalyptic. Yeah, and there's nothing better than making something up on the spot and then proclaiming it to be clever, which is what I just did. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm moving on. Okay. Um, and then, as you said, the Riders of the Storm show up for some reason, I guess, because they can. Um, they punch Iceman. Yeah, they, they punch Iceman. They kidnap Crystal? And, uh, yeah, they kidnap Crystal. That, that was the whole purpose, I guess, was yeah. they, they came to kidnap Crystal. And then somebody says, it looks like Apocalypse is goading us into a direct attack. And Cyclops is like, then let's do it. Yeah, with his bangs wavering over his optic beams. You'd think that those uh, wisps of hair would be blasted off when he uses those optic beams. 
it's all very badass and uh, <laughs> yes uh the, we cut to apocalypse and he is confused about how there are still eight humans alive for some reason which confused me um the one of the guys says they they appear to be marshalling for an attack it's like how how are they so confused about what's going on because we the large force of humans has met has uh massed outside the fortress they appear to be marshalling for an attack and apocalypse says is that so and how bright could that be when we supposedly have their entire population under lock and key so here's my theory right so obviously uh, if you if you believe that you have all the Inhumans, then you know you have Black Bolt, right? Because he's the king of the Inhumans. You probably are aware that you have Crystal because she's connected to Black Bolt. Uh, you know, it's, and the dog, right? You got to have the dog too. Lockheed. Lock. No, Lockjaw. Lockjaw. Yeah, yeah. So What's Lockheed. Oh, Lockheed is the the uh, dragon ship. Well, oh, it's, it's also the, the ship. Yeah, it's also the dragon. Yeah. So my theory here is that Apocalypse is such a delegator that he had like a an Apocalypse lieutenant uh, round up all of the Inhumans. Uh, that guy realized like, shoot, I don't have all these. But if I tell Apocalypse the bad news, he's going to be mad. So he came and told Apocalypse like, we got them all. Nothing <laughs> to worry about. And Apocalypse being the delegator that he is, is like, okay, cool. I trust you. And now here we are. That's my theory. But he just sent somebody to kidnap Crystal. Uh, maybe the lieutenant sent the riders in the storm. It's like, oh, we know where Crystal is. Beam in, beam out. Forget about Black Bolt, the dog. Key. Lock and key in this case might not mean in prison. It just means at bay. Sure. I, I'm just making stuff up, Adam. I, I, I know you are. None of this stuff I'm, makes any sense. Yeah, it's it's I don't even uh the other thing that we learn is that they can't break Christopher. So Apocalypse wants to absorb him or something. Right. Right. The infant resists us. Right. So this the, is a revelation to you scientist. I couldn't even get the scientist name. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be a robot scientist, right? I mean, there's three of them. They all have individual faces. That, I guess they're all robots, sure. They all have, like, cybernetics and stuff sticking out of their heads, so... Apocalypse doesn't have time to name his scientists. No, it's just, you, scientist, go figure this out. So, uh, Lockjaw uh, teleports everybody to the moon, and... Well, they, they, so the, we get this action panel where everybody, Cyclops is in the lead, and we got some uh, inhumans, and it's, okay, troops, let's move it. But then it turns out that this is a hologram, um, which confuse me oh because then we cut to beast who's hiding behind a rock oh and we, beast was also in the panel i don't know why we need uh charlotte jones writing lockjaw though because it seems like a cute character moment but kind of stupid if this is just a hologram because it's awesome so if this is this whole thing you're telling me this whole action panel is a hologram uh, then you're right it makes no sense why would why would part of the hologram be charlotte writing lockjaw so I'm very uh, – I'm thinking maybe – so I tried to figure this out in my head and I was like maybe this is happening. This is what's actually happening on the – because it turns out that Cyclops and the X-Men are behind – X-Factor. X-Factor, sure, uh, are behind <laughs> – See, it's Apocalypse. hard, Adam. It's very hard, <laughs> uh, especially when we haven't done an issue of X-Men in a while. Uh, so later we learned that 
X Factor and Cyclops are behind and sneaking up on Apocalypse. Ah, uh, sure. So these are not them, but maybe this is a representation of what they're actually doing on the other side. Sure. Maybe. That works. I like that. I guess. <laughs> Let's go with that. But then we see get Beast behind a rock, so I'm not sure why Beast is in the panel to begin with. Well, I mean, Cyclops is standing on some rocks. Beast is behind Cyclops. Those could be the same rocks that Beast is behind. So, like, he's okay. action, and now he's, like, crouching. Weird, but okay. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, and then we get a full-page uh, spread of uh, multiple apocalypses and other bad guys. Which, thankfully... Like somebody says, I see five separate apocalypses because I would have said, oh, there's two apocalypses now. I did not realize any of these other apocalypses were apocalypses. Yeah, right. I see two apocalypses. Uh, I see creatures. Uh, I guess maybe these three in the foreground are different variations on apocalypse. I don't know. I guess somebody says one of the, one of the not apocalypses says, have you yet realized poor deluded simpletons? All things are possible to a Lord of creation. Yes. I guess. Okay. (laughs) Maybe Chris Claremont was writing this and he phoned up Will Spertacea. He's like, what's happening on this panel? He's like, Oh, there's like five apocalypses. And Chris Claremont's like, there, like there, I, there is. <laughs> I see two. He's like, oh no 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 no. There's trust us. There's five. He's like, oh, what? Okay. okay, all right, I guess. So we wrote that in there. It turns out that the hologram thing is a trap to lure most of Apocalypse's army into a gigantic pit created by Beast, who Hulk smashes the ground combined with Gorgon and Karnak the Shatterer doing whatever it is they do, like I'm assuming actually making the ground go into a hole. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when we see the holograms start to disperse. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cyclops' face in the lower uh, right-hand corner is kind of shredded. Yep. And then we cut to the other side where the exact same group of people is coming in from the rear. Charlotte is uh, sitting on Lockjaw's head. Firing yeah, so a I'm, gun. I'm thinking it was just a replication of what was actually happening behind the scenes for I, some reason. I agree. You would think, though, that Apocalypse would have life-scanning machines to be like, hey, turn around. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no. So, yeah, they, they, they start fighting, and I guess there's a bunch of other Inhumans, including this delightful yellow-faced lion guy. He sort of reminds me of a Thundercat who says, oh, yeah, he Death does. to Apocalypse! And he's very happy with his very large white teeth. So these are the actual prisoners that I think that Apocalypse was referring to. Charlotte is, uh, she's really excited, not excited, but she's impressed by Black Bolt's uh, power. Right? He just basically whispers. And uh, causes a bunch of destruction, so we have to get a quick explanation of how his powers work by Cyclops. Because he's just a- power sergeant, and his curse, even his smallest vocal sound, carries the kinetic impact of a bomb. Well, which this is, we see a lot of characters doing stuff to something off screen. Yes, which we I think we've pointed this out before, and this is a big good example of that. Charlotte's shooting, Cyclops is firing, Black Bolt is whispering, all to an unseen, I don't know what they're firing at, yeah. but then we cut to a panel of a bunch of prisoners. Cheering. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. And, anyway, they all break through a hole in the wall, they're and, still fighting something. 
sort of. I mean, I guess Beast and Jean are still fighting something, but Cyclops and Black Bolt take a moment to like make a plan and shake each other's hands. They're chatting. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly it's one-sided because yeah. if Black Bolt chats, he blows Cyclops' face off. And then, uh, then they attack something at the bottom of the screen that we don't see. It's another. It's it's not it's not a good image by any stretch, but it's like the action pose of the team springing into action, where you would expect the next panel would be like the bad guys going like, "Oh my god, here comes X Factor!" But instead, we cut to individualized attacking pictures of each one of the X Factor team members. More or less talking about like, hey, wait a minute, this is the lunar blue area of the moon where Phoenix died. I wonder if Gene knows this. <laughs> yes. And Gene, this is sort of probably the only neat thing about the the story is Gene's like, oh, I remember all of this. But wait, how could I remember this? I wasn't even here. This is where I died. So that's kind of I feel with every fiber of my being. Yeah. So that's kind of neat that she's still got that in impression or memory or, or whatever it tells you that there's a little bit more going on and this is again this is chris claremont probably trying to tie all these things together he's like i gotta i gotta write something for my legacy yeah Iceman's like well i read Being about ushered the, out i wasn't here but i read in the files that the blue area of the moon is where gene died and you can breathe here <laughs> weird uh one of them, I can't remember if it was Iceman or Angel, is like, I wonder if the gun that killed Phoenix was designed by Apocalypse. Oh, wow. I, yeah. And if you remember that, that Dark Phoenix saga where it ends, uh, it is just a random gun that somebody uses to kill her. Or she uses to kill herself. I can't remember how it that works. It could be designed by Apocalypse. Why not? Uh, Angel would... also thinks to himself that my... My wings feel like they know this place. Yes, yes, which it's is kind of both stupid and fun. Right. Something that'll never go anywhere. Uh, uh, so, yeah, they're fighting for, like, I guess they're fighting apocalypses. You can kind of see little apocalypses in the corners. I like guess. Maybe, maybe they're apocalypse. It's hard to tell because you can't actually see them. You just see portions of their face. Yeah, they're sort of in, uh, sort of in silhouette. Uh, but if you, I guess if you're really looking, it looks like the top of Apocalypse's head, it looks like Apocalypse's arm. Iceman's not fighting anything, and Angel looks to be heading towards well, no. Apocalypse's mouth. Iceman is uh, fighting that Apocalypse, because that Apocalypse oh, is covered in ice. gotcha. Oh, I see. Both of these panels, even though they're separated, are the same panel. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's actually kind of a neat effect. Took they're me... pretty cool. These panels are pretty, except for the fact that you can't see what they're fighting. These are actually pretty good action panels. Way better than the previous action panel where everybody was just shouting at the screen. Ah! And then Cyclops, he decides to throw some shade after he destroys a robot apocalypse. He's like, okay, so they're all robot apocalypses. Yeah. Then we get a clear view now that these are definitely apocalypses. But for no reason whatsoever, he's like, hey, these are robots and they're pale imitations of the maker. And the Citadel, <laughs> the new mutants could have done a better job defending it. <laughs> like, that's not necessary. This is all way too easy. And they're like, well, it's probably a trap, but let's go in. And we're, we're getting uh, the, well, I don't know why Jean Grey can't sense this, but uh, Cyclops, which oh, she doesn't have, well, wait, would she be able to sense Christopher at this point? Probably. Uh, and something we missed, I don't remember exactly where it was. Uh, she says something like, we're looking for Christopher. He's my son. I mean, he's Cyclops' son and we got to go get him. Yeah. So that was, you could read that in two different ways, right? So she's sort of, or Madeline was sort of a clone of Jean, so 
by genetics, I guess it would be Jean's son. But she's also sort of become like a you know stepmother or surrogate mother or whatever you want to call it. So you got to wonder, is Chris Claremont going for that sort of emotional attachment or this sort of genetic technicality when he wrote that line? And it could be either. I'm assuming that it's the emotion. I would emotional. like it. I would like to believe that that's what he was going for. But then I don't know why she would correct himself or herself. Um, because they're still not a hot ticket item. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I don't know because because it'll remind you that you're reading the comics and what's going on. I guess it's just a it's a it's a cool way to catch you up on the Jean Grey Cyclops Christopher story. But anyway, uh, Ship is sending her a scan link. His sensors have pinpointed Nathan Christopher in the chamber beyond this door. So they blow the door open, and there's Christopher with in some sort of gigantic wire machine. And Apocalypse is there, and they kill Apocalypse. But then he's like, "No way! I you you think you're the only one who can is capable of resorting to holograms?" Oh yeah, yeah, he's a and hologram too. And then we turn the page, and now Apocalypse is gigantic for some reason, and. Good got a double chin as well it's it's an interesting idea but i feel like we could have done a little bit better on the head it's like he drew the entire body in this complex and then ran out of room for the head so he decided to make it super squat (laughs) uh but yes apocalypse is giant he's he's basically connected to the machine that's connected to nathan and he said earlier like he's got to absorb nathan right yeah, so, so I'm assuming this is this is the result of maybe he's partially absorbed him, or yeah, well, he hasn't started yet. He's, he's getting ready to push the button. Nathan's definitely in a machine that is designed for absorption. Oh man, so that's so that issue so that ends. But I didn't I didn't realize there was a prologue, and I didn't read any of this. Oh, <laughs> there's a prologue in which uh, Sebastian Shaw's son Shinobi shows up. And basically says, I own Shaw Industries now. And then Shaw's like, you little twerp, and tries to kill him. And then he's like, oh, by the way, my mutant power finally kicked in. And uh, it's some sort of, I can control molecular density. And uh, he gives uh, Shaw a heart attack by reaching into his gut and giving him a, a seizure, I guess. And then he says something like, speaking of which, do you think my since my powers are... So much more like my Uncle Leland's that you're not my real dad. Oh. <laughs> Which, if you cut forward to 2021 in a comic that we didn't cover but was uh, an issue of Marauders, uh, it is revealed that, yes, Shinobi's father is actually Leland after they resurrect Leland. So I feel like it's kind of weird it- that – it took them this long to get to that, but there's a lot of comics in between that, so maybe they've been alluding to it all along. Isn't this the first appearance of Shinobi, though? Yeah. So, so I don't. Did they just? So I mean, not have like I don't know anything about Shinobi. So I'm curious if this is the only mention of Uncle Leland being my possible father that we get for the next twenty some years, thirty years. I'm, and then they finally somebody re, re, uh, like flipped through this and was like, oh. That's interesting. Let's do that. I don't know how or if this little prologue pays off. I assume it must. But it seems interesting to introduce the fact that Shaw has a son. Shaw's son 
has powers, and those powers might be derived from his actual possible father, Lee. That's a lot of drama to just, <laughs> like, dump in three pages in a story that has nothing to do with what's happening here. So... And then uh, he blows up Shaw Industries and says, you're fired. So presumably Shaw is dead, although probably not. Bizarre. (laughs) I wonder if they ran out of pages. Why would they do this? And Chris Claremont's like, I got an idea. I want four pages of this Shaw thing because I'm going to cook something up in the pages of X-Men. Jim Lee, it's going to be awesome. And Jim Lee's like, we're never going to do that. But yeah, go ahead, whatever. I feel like this is a Wills Portagio thing that was another – like I feel like the Leland part is totally Chris Claremont being like, oh, I'm going to add some kind of internal interest to this. But I feel like the rest of it is a Jim Lee, uh, Wills Portagio thing where we're going to introduce the son of Shaw. He's going to be awesome. Maybe he's going to be like a, uh, a standing enemy in the pages of X Factor because I'll be honest, uh, like as as the – X franchise uh, carried forward. I stopped reading X Factor. So after X Men number one, while I, I picked up a couple of those issues, I, I never really paid much attention to them and ultimately stopped reading them. So maybe Shinobi is going to be like the new big bad of X Factor. I also didn't read those, although I wish I had because those, those, like Peter David takes over, it's a whole different team. When Peter David takes over, is that right away or is that? I thought like Havoc led the team for a while and then eventually you end up with dupe on the team. Uh, so Peter, Peter David didn't do the dupe stuff. Oh, okay. That was, that was way later. And that was X-Force. Oh, okay. Uh, Peter David takes over around the time of X-Men number one and X-Force number one and all the stuff happening. One of the big things that happens is there's a big, since most of the members of X-Factor get thrown back into the X-Men team, they come up with a new, uh, X Factor team, right? And yeah, I do believe Havoc's on it. Uh, Jamie Madrax is on it. Yeah, Learned Dane. Yeah, and it's written by Peter David for a little while, and then he goes away during the '90s, and then he comes back and basically makes X Factor his own thing for the rest of forever. I think the art was weird, and I didn't like it. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. Because The art is definitely different. It's got that kind of Mike Mignola yes, style. Yes, which I... Where it's which was, very, everything's very compressed and... Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't normal, so I didn't like it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I think it was by Larry Stroman. I don't know. That, that name was ringing a bell. Don't know why. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, I don't know. You, you could be right that this was just the Chris Claremont filling in the blanks thing. I feel like uh, it was Jim Lee and Will Sportagio setting up threads. Sure. And Chris Claremont making those threads more interesting. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It's also, you know, Chris Claremont's pretty good at building threads. Like, here's an idea. A couple issues later, we're going to expand on that idea. A couple issues later, we're going to expand the idea. So that you, you don't introduce four new ideas in four pages and expect <laughs> people to be like, what's happening with Shinobi? This is like, the 90s, Jeremy. you got to get with the program. Yeah. We introduce 10 ideas every page. It's fast, 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 and wispy, long bangs. So, New Mutants, or sorry, New Warriors, number 13. Number 12, even. Oh, well, I read the wrong issue then. <laughs> Adam, what <laughs> happened in New Warriors, number 12? So, you read part three? Were you very confused? Uh, no, not really. 
I mean, I knew we were in like the future. I was like, oh, something jumped off panel. All right, tell you what, we'll skip this one and we'll go straight to Wolverine number 40. All righty. Well, I read Wolverine number 41, so uh, uh, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Wolverine number 40. The Stealth Express of Doom. It's not a particularly great cover, but it's a cool concept. You got Wolverine being hit by a plane with Albert on top of the plane, who also looks like Wolverine. LCDs hanging on to his leg. It's cool. Yeah, uh, as soon as Marvel Unlimited, there we go. Yeah, you know, I think I've seen this cover before, and even when I uh, started reading it this time, I actually thought that that was a train hitting him in the back. <laughs> but after reading the issue, I now realize it was a stealth plane. It is a Lockheed stealth bomber. Yep. This is a, is a great issue. Um yeah, Larry, Larry Hammer definitely got his, his idea of what he wants to do here, and uh, Sylvester and Green at the top of their game. But um, he brought in Jubilee, so this is exciting. Yeah, uh, Larry Hammer's doing Jubilee and Wolverine, and arguably, in my opinion, probably the best relationship of Jubilee and Wolverine. This is the beginning, and it's very clearly patterned off of the uh, Chris Claremont that Chris Claremont already established from the the x-men issues yeah maybe they had a little conversation of chris was like this is what i wanted to do and larry hama's like it's a great idea i'll do that but yeah they uh wolverine saved lcd brought her back to because she was she's a bomb she's uh electronics and nothing but c13 as forge will tell us later which is four times maybe even five times worse than uh c4 but uh, brings back to the mansion so which feels like a gi joe type note where this is probably a real thing. <laughs> probably. Yeah, absolutely. So they bring her back to the mansion because Wolverine wants to deactivate her and, uh, I don't know, redeem her or... Well, he just yeah. he doesn't want her to blow up. Exactly. And meanwhile, well, Albert, in Terminator style, dun, 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 dun. It was put into a supply locker because they're like, well... At the police station, because they're like, well, we can't put him in the jail because he's not a person. Uh, so we're going to put him with all of the evidence, which has uh, armor and electronics. And so Albert rebuilds himself with armor and electronics. And now he's going to go find LCD because he's under the impression that Wolverine has kidnapped LCD. Or he basically wants to complete the mission. And he also wants to save LCD, too. Yeah. He's a, little, he's a little bit smarter than he was because of the events of last issue. LCD gave him some brains. So now he's uh, able to do all this stuff where he is able to uh, rebuild his body, essentially, and defend himself against gunfire. And he's got like, I've got Kevlar now. And uh, he frees the gangsters that he hooked up with last issue, which I think this is the last time we see them. But he just kind of lets him go. Yep. Go wherever you want. I'm going to Palmdale. And he takes off. Meanwhile, uh, Forge, Jubilee, Wolverine, and LCD are out. I can't, I don't, do they have a plan here? Are they trying to lure Albert? Are they, what are they trying to do? Uh, they are 3,000 miles away in Westchester County. I think they're just getting food. Just getting a bite to eat. And we start... I think they took a break because Forge was like, it can't be done. Can't be done. So they decided to go get some food. Yeah. <laughs> and Jubilee is getting a little jealous of LCD. 
LCD says, I'm not his kid, I'm his date, referring to Wolverine when the waitress comes over. And Jubilee says, you're no date, you're an appliance. Right. There's a very... Uh, Wolverine keeps referring to LCD as she. Jubilee and Forge, to agree, I think, continue to refer to LCD as it, although that sort of wavers back and forth. Um, the waitress is like, you can't bring in your own food, referring to LCD, who's drinking out of a paper bag. And then we get revealed that it's some 10W30 motor oil. Over it says, it's not food. Uh, Albert continues to make his way. He knows what he needs to do. Forge says, let's go downtown and knock some balls together. So they're just killing time. Killing time, trying to figure out what to do with LCD. Albert breaks into a military base, finds a stealth plane, hijacks it. Uh, we get some more fun banter of uh, LCD playing pool. Uh, Wolverine is, is uh, shaking down some of the locals like, yeah, play this 10-year-old. 50 bucks <laughs> on the game or whatever the amount is. And LCD, of course, being a robot, is able to calculate all the angles and, and win every time. But that drains her batteries. So she goes over to a soda machine and sticks her power outlet finger into it, causing a blackout. Yep. So then they take off, and uh, LCD is... Oh, LCD and Wolverine hop onto a motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, because she... She gets a, a, a uh, something from Albert. Yeah. So she's like, we got to get to an antenna. I need to get more information on this. And Wolverine... I picked up a message from Albert. He's a wife. And Wolverine's got the perfect antenna for them to drive off to. So Albert has integrated himself into the stealth bomber, which is why he's riding, surfing, if you will, on top of the stealth bomber, which is it's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. Although he's uh, flying in New York, towards New York. Oh, he flies uh, Palmdale, Chicago. So he's making his way over to New York in this stealth bomber. Wolverine and... LCD make their way to the top of the World Trade Center. You, you forgot that it's... Wolverine's like hopping over cabs on his motorcycle. Like he's just doing like these <laughs> awesome jumps all over the place, which. Yeah, he's, uh, he's just jumping around. Yeah. Look pretty impossible, but <laughs> nevertheless, he's doing them. But yes, he I'm, makes himself. I, I guess I'd never noticed that until just now. It's a bonk, like, bonk, uh, and it's hitting the back of these cars, which. It's pretty funny. I don't know how you would. You know, like you can bunny hop a bicycle, but, you know, motorcycles are not as light as a bicycle. I don't know. I mean, I guess if, you're, if your weight is generally ridiculously heavy, then maybe you can treat it like a bicycle. I don't know how that works. I don't know. I don't sure. know physics. Sure. <laughs> so he drives to the, the World Trade Center because that's the antenna that they're going to use. It's the tallest point in New York City, so it's the perfect place for them to pick up the signal. It's a little eerie here. We've got a uh, bomber, a stealth bomber, uh, flanked by a few jets, uh, all heading towards the World Trade Center. It's And uh, when I met Larry Hama, he actually pointed that out because this was the issue that my girlfriend happened to pull out from a bin because she wanted to get him to sign something. So we went, we picked up some comics. He, she grabbed a random issue of Wolverine from some guy's collection. It was this issue, and Larry Hama signed it, and he was like, Oh, this issue where I fly a plane towards the World Trade Center. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's I was like, oh, wow. It's <laughs> I never really noticed that. It's an obvious plot device. Right. But yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't call it poor taste. I mean, he couldn't have predicted the future. No, it was, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's not like he can predict anything. And, and certainly it's a great 
comic book style plot. Right. It just happens to uh, resonate in a different way now. Exactly. It has a different meaning. But uh, LCD yeah. and Wolverine are at the top of the World Trade Center. LCD is trying to jack into the antenna, but she never actually makes it because Albert, um, he's trying to figure out what to do. He's like, I'm flying this plane towards the Empire St- or the uh, World Trade Center. I want to save LCD, but kill Wolverine. Yeah. How am I going to do this? And he's trying to figure out. And ultimately, they just get really close. And he's like, LCD, duck! As the airplane yeah. is uh, running towards Wolverine. He tells them to look one way and he comes from behind. I'm not... I mean, I get that it's a stealth plane and that people can't, like... Pick it up on know, radar? Pick it up on radar. But wouldn't Wolverine and LCD be able to hear it? You would think so. But I think <laughs> for plot contrivance, they're like, oh, yeah... Can't can't detect it, can't hear it. For this comic, it is that stealthy. No, I, I would expect that there would be like a, a roar of, of wind, of engines, of all sorts of stuff. Speaking uh, of radars, we should also point out that the, uh, mm. the U.S. Air Force is coming, is still searching for this plane. Uh, they don't know exactly where it is because they can't find it, but they are, they are still searching for it and they... They know that the only way that they might be able to find it is if, A, they see it, or B, somebody turns on its radar, which is something that uh, Albert is going to do, I think, in order to hit Wolverine from behind. Yeah, this is going to be too tight to judge visually. Attack computer, activate forward-looking infrared, and start staring focal plane array. (laughs) <laughs> I want a, I want a target solution accurate to 0.05 millimeters. So, you know, it's not it's not implausible that this could sort of work. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's they kind of cover it. I'd like to point out that I think it's on page uh, 16. I believe this is Albert and his stealth targeting Wolverine through a computer. And he, yeah. he, he, he's still supposed to be undetectable by electronic systems. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. <laughs> so that is officially over, yeah, well, I guess. I think it's been officially over for a while. But it's interesting that even, I mean, Chris Claremont being a detail-oriented guy didn't come up with some explanation for that. It's just like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, yeah. But anyways... Uh, I'd like to pinpoint the exact time when that sort of dropped off the map, and we could we could we could pick out something that was going on at that time and say it was it was that the fault of that. They made a big deal about it when they brought you know Dazzler back and Rogue back um, that they were undetectable by t- oh, when they brought Storm back. Like and Storm, yeah, she's right there, but we can't see her on any of our medical devices. Um, yep. I don't know. I'm going to say somewhere around. Let's let's uh, let's let's. Let's make it canon, Adam. I'm going to say that Extinction Agenda, the um, uh, who? What's the country? Genosha. Genosians uh, put fixed that. Yeah, it's <laughs> some, something in the process of making them all mutates, made them all visible. Right. Because pretty much everybody got made into a mutate, right? Uh, just about, I think a few people uh, escaped, but it wouldn't necessarily explain Dazzler and Rogue and Colossus who weren't actually there. And and who's to say, Adam? Uh, maybe those that weren't at Genosha, may, maybe we'll find that they're still undetectable by electronical 
devices. I just said electronical. <laughs> Wolverine um, is hit in the back with the stealth plane, which is pretty amazing. It's cool. It looks cool. And uh, LCD grabs onto the back of it. Uh, oh, Albert, this is Willie, not white. And she's using her fingers to hold onto it, which is gross and fun. <laughs> Forge and Jubilee, meanwhile, are, are chasing the stealth plane on the road with a car, which is kind of funny. They're just kind of trying to keep up with where Wolverine is. Uh, Wolverine and Albert do a little bit of fighting here. Uh, but ultimately, this whole issue is solved by LCD being like, wait a minute, Albert, Logan's pretty cool, and you're pretty cool. You're free. Go go live a life. Yeah. He's like, what? Oh, Man, for the first time ever, this is amazing. I'm going to go live a life. I'm for And then he gets shot by the Air Force. Who have now, because he had to turn on the radar to hit Wolverine, they can now detect him, and they shoot the plane down. And uh, what happens to the plane? It just crashes into the ocean, I guess. I think it, yeah, well, the, the bay there, whatever that yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, going down, it crashes. Jubilee I... and Forge jump into the... Uh, fire-stricken water in order to see if anybody is alive. Yeah, which is a little weird. Like, get in the water so we can chase the burning stealth plane. I'm surprised the U.S. Air Force would want to shoot the plane down. You'd think they would, you know, Well, they do talk about, like, back. we can't use missiles because we're too close to civilian areas. We've got to shoot it down into the water. So they do that. But now, this, this the stealth fighter, theoretically, is a top-secret... Uh, U.S., you'd think that they would want to go retrieve it. And to your point, maybe try to salvage whatever they can off of it. But I mean, I guess that's other people's jobs. It's not going to be these guys. Right, exactly. So they shoot it down. It's in the bay. They'll send out the retrieving squad. But meanwhile, uh, Wolverine and LCD are in the plane, presumably in the bay. Forge and Jubilee, I guess, have dove into the water. To see what they can see, because they're heroes, and that's what heroes do. And Albert... I don't know if he dies or... If yeah, we, don't, we don't see. He's, he's in the same boat as everybody else. Yeah. Oh, LCD, I failed you. And I failed myself. I'm so sorry. So he could die here. Uh, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. I don't know how the story ends. But very fun. Very fun. Very fun indeed. Which takes us to Wolverine Reign of Terra. Yeah. Which was also fun. This was fun fun i not maybe that it matters terribly but where in the timeline or in continuity does this take place so this is one of those weird stories that if you try to place it in the timeline there's always going to be problems sure but i think it takes place it obviously takes place before uh genosha extinction agenda yes yes exactly okay um but uh, Warlock is inexplicably missing for some reason. So yes. I feel like it sort of takes place after that, but also before it. We do get an alternate reality Warlock, was, which is a kind of cool concept. But uh, Cable was a part of the whole uh, Extinction Agenda, right? Yep. Like, yeah, he was there. Yeah, okay. So uh, I also think, it, yeah, I mean, it has to because of the state of mind that Wolf Spain is in. Uh, well, she's still in Genosha, as far as we know. Correct. But this particular story... So when I first started reading the story, I'm like, oh, are they trying to rescue her from Genosha? 
No. But no, they're not. Uh, and I think, sort of jumping to the end of the story, a mysterious man uh, gives them a little bit of information. Uh, it's Logan. It's Wolverine. Uh, and I think he's still trying to protect his I'm dead cover. So... You think so? I think so, because otherwise he'd be like, hey, guys, it's great to see you. I'm Wolverine. I'm the best at what I do. I'm, oh, okay. I'm right here. Because he's like in shadows, smoking a cigar. He's like, hey, folks. I thought he was just being cool. But, I mean, now that you pointed that out, I'll try to read it with that sort of uh, perspective in mind. You could be right. And I don't know how much we want to cover of this. Uh, it's it's 64 pages. Um, it's It's... Well, it's Larry, not Larry David. It's um, Peter David. Peter David and uh, Andy Kubert. Uh, so it's it's really well written. Uh, the art is is good. Um, I mean, we can kind of summarize it. The um, uh, Merlin in uh, some mysterious realm, who is Magneto. Uh, there's like a fantasy world where all of these characters are in in some sort of magical realm. Yeah, let's basically so say that got... this is like this is the uh earth 212 which happens to be you know dungeons and dragons fantasy marvel universe so you got magneto as merlin who is the bad guy uh you got cable as the good wizard the mage you got rain as the princess um and then roberto sam boom boom in this reality doug uh is a peasant that's Doug is there. Warlock is there as a sword, yep. which is kind of a neat idea. Yeah. Well, he's a sword, and he also, well, I guess probably due to magic, turns into a giant beast. Wolverine yeah. is here as the prophesized beast who will, on Rain's 16th birthday, kill her. Princess Rain, yeah. Princess Rain. Uh, and there's an interesting thing where the Magneto Wizards guy says, "You're there is no version of you in this world. There is no version of you in any world. Wolverine? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was like, that's an interesting note that no one will ever use again. No. Good idea, though. Yeah. Because there's parallels of every other character that right. that's sort of like... So our Earth-616 New Mutants will, from time to time, um, their, their minds will shift to try to help Rain out. They're sort of trying to slowly well, I guess we should back up. At the beginning of the story, Rain's like kind of gone crazy. She's like, get away from me. And she's talking about, you know, ye old Merlin and this sort of stuff. And the new mutant's like, I don't, what are you talking about? Like, we're your friends, you're Rain. She's like, no, I'm a princess. I need to talk to the king, my father. I'm not who you think I am. I'm not this Sinclair person. Right. Where are my knights? Where are my protectors? You gotta let me out of here. I want to go home. Where's the mage? Where's my castle? So, her personality and the New Mutants personalities kind of shift back and forth between these two, uh, we'll call them realities. One one being an alternate reality and one being the Marvel Universe proper reality to try to figure out what's happening and to try to basically restore their reign back to her personality. But they don't realize that in order to do that, a, a spell has been cast to try to solve the problem of princess rain being killed on her 16th birthday right so so magneto wizard called wolverine into their world to kill rain uh which i think is pronounced r-a-i-n in this world or sure. spelled that way um cable good guy wizard swapped 
Rain's body is with 616 Rain, which is why in the, with the New Mutants, Rain went crazy. Mm-hmm. And, but also, Rain doesn't recall her previous life. But as you as you kind of alluded to, occasionally she sees glimpses of her friends swapping to their New Mutants style selves. So Sam and Roberto are like knights that are her protectors. And occasionally she sees them as uh, Sam and Roberto from our world. Right. Uh, Ricardo becomes Richard. Uh, Boom Boom is Tabitha. Tabby. Yeah. And she's like her... uh, Handmaid or... Handmaiden or something something like that. that. Uh, Most loyal servant, I think. And then, yeah, as you said, Doug is a a peasant. Right. Uh, They... Well, her her knight protectors, Roberto and uh, Cannonball, basically have magically imbued powers in this uh, realm that are similar to their power sets in Earth-616, but their costumes sort of change from time to time, which elicits, like, weird memories from the princess, who's like, wait, you know, and then from time to time she'll call them by their Earth-616 name, um, Doug's name is Doug in both realities. That's so convenient. when Doug shows up, because Doug throughout this entire story is like, oh, there's the princess. Uh, does she see me waving? Oh, to, to, to be with the princess would be lovely. And then later on in the story, as um, he gets involved to try to help the princess, she's like, Doug, what are you doing here? And, and, she, and he's like, oh, you know my name? Oh, yeah. fraptious day. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's basically the setup of the plot and and uh, Wolverine manages to eventually get out from under control of the spell that he's under and Mag- Magneto Wizard becomes a giant that they all have to fight together and eventually everybody goes back into their bodies, but Rain has to... Uh, nobody, nobody on the New Mutants believes Rain. They think that she was just temporarily crazy. And that's where, at the end, Shadowed Wolverine comes in and says, "Hey, Rain, remember that? Remember that cool time we had? It was pretty cool, right?" <laughs> and they were like, "Oh my God, it was real!" Yeah, good sort to, of a Wizard of Oz moment. Yeah, good to see you back. Or something like that is what he says. And then, yeah. and then he strolls off again, still in shadow. But it is a, it is overall, it's a, it's a fun read. Um, you know, we kind of, we kind of skipped over the middle. So this is this is the thing that tells me he's still trying to maintain his cover. He he says, uh, uh, "Here, I found this for you. It's it belongs to its rightful owner." And she he tosses over uh, this wolf pendant over to six one six Rain, and he says, "It came off my neck when I uh, when Wolverine." Oh, okay. No place like home, eh? Well, I gotta go. So yeah, healthy, okay. I, I totally missed that. So yeah. yeah, you could be right. You might you might be right. Uh, seems seems pretty logical. Yeah. What about the what about the middle? Oh, we kind of skipped over it. There oh, was yeah. a lot of plot that happened, which is fine. You know, uh, we got the gist of it. It was a it was a fun it was a fun story, and you should check it out, dear listener, if you're interested in something that's kind of really doesn't matter in the long in the scheme of things, but it's sort of fun. Right. The interesting thing, the most interesting thing about this story, in my opinion, is that normally when you would see a wolverine story it's usually about wolverine doing wolverine stuff and for the vast majority of this issue he's just sort of a mindless beast yeah. who's trying to make his way to rain to kill her and there's no like flashbacks or explanation really 
Um, so it's sort of a, it's a, I feel like it's a unique use of a hero character because normally you would sort of have a little bit of setup or some flashbacks that would help inform like why, why is my favorite character Wolverine be the bad guy in this issue? Yeah. Uh, and I think that works a little bit to its advantage to make it a little bit more compelling um, of a story. Because you got to stay with it to get to like, what is what is happening here? And then as it starts coming together, you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. I think this was the equivalent of a Wolverine annual because Wolverine wasn't doing annuals yet. They were doing oh. these kind of uh, almost kind of bound trade paperback sort of things with nice paper. Yeah. Um, so it, every year, like a, one of those would come out for Wolverine and... I usually picked them up. I don't. Rec- I can't recall if I picked this one up or not. I probably did because I was buying everything at that time. But I didn't. I didn't really remember this one. But yeah, it's probably because Wolverine wasn't in it that much. But uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and that brings us to Marvel Comics Presents. And the only thing I know about issue number sixty-nine is that we're about uh, two issues away from Weapon X. Yeah, this is like part seven or part six of eight. So yeah, we've got two more issues yeah before we get to uh uh weapon x i flipped through these pages but i didn't read any of the dialogue what happened to this one adam (laughs) so uh this this whole story has just been sort of an exercise in not having like nothing happening (laughs) um but this issue finally something is happening so we get to essentially the bad guys the good guys finally get to the bad guys and are going to face them on and uh, we get a whole lot of backstory about some of the characters. Uh, this The main character, this is kind of interesting. Uh, the main character, well, the main hero character named Brass, we get his sort of backstory and that his uh, girlfriend was killed during Acts of Vengeance. Oh. And there's like references specifically to uh, Mandarin fighting Avengers during acts of vengeance and his girlfriend Teresa panics and runs into a car and she was killed. Uh, so he, he vows to kill everybody that was involved in acts of vengeance. So Mandarin, Red Skull, Kingpin, Loki, Magneto, presumably, um, it's tall order. It's pretty, some pretty tough guys, but yeah, so they're going, uh, they're going after Mandarin right now. Although, Technically, technically, they're not going after anybody because they're just uh, Death Watch. I guess it could be that Kingpin had Death Watch. I don't really know why, what, how this connects to Acts of Vengeance other than that's where this guy came from. Okay. And then there's just some fighting. They're all getting towards Death Watch because the, the overall arc of the story is that Death Watch, for some reason, attacked Wolverine, attacked Ghost Rider, attacked this family of superheroes and now they've all teamed up and are going after death watch death watch is not in this issue but presumably they have made their way to death watch's hideout and within the next two issues one hopes that there would be an encounter with death watch so that's what's happening okay um brass who is the superhero guy and ghost rider take off uh presumably they're gonna go rescue his kidnapped sister i don't know sure there's two issues left, so I mean things are starting finally starting to pick up. It feels like the first two issues were something happening, and then it was a big chunk where nothing happened. It was mostly just heroes fighting and talking. 
And then finally, we were actually going after the bad guys. So we got two more issues. And then we'll have to do like a giant-sized Weapon X special or something. I don't know. Yeah. Weapon X, one fell swoop. Yeah, we should be able to cover it in, in one fell swoop, I would think. It's, it's not that long. It's quite a few issues of Marvel Comics Presents. I was just kind of like... Because I, uh, I've only read the story once, and that was as it was being released. And in at least one issue, it's half of the book. And it's and like one issue is all of the book. Yeah. The, so the last issue, I think it's a 12 parter and the 12th mm-hmm. part takes up all of Marvel comics presents. Yeah. So it's easily, I don't know, probably uh, four or five full issues worth of content. So I, I'm interested to see how that goes. Assuming I got my math right. It's 110 pages. Okay. So as long as we don't cover anything else, we should be good. Well, there you go. Well, that's that's it for this this time around. Yeah, for sure. Next time around, I think we're actually going to talk about X-Men. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Remember them? No, I I don't. Well, I think we left off at a good point where uh, whatever's happening, we don't need to know precisely what happened before. So it should be okay. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be great. So uh, we we got no no real communique to talk about here, but if you'd like to let us know what you're thinking. Um, Actually, we do have a lot of communique that we could talk about. I just haven't been on the ball. And uh, yeah, so we, we are getting your letters. We there are There's at least two. Oh, okay. But I, I just haven't put them in a place where we can actually comment on them yet. So I will do that. Apologies to those of you who are anxiously waiting <laughs> to hear your name. To hear your name on a Z grade podcast. <laughs> it's exciting. Uh, so, if you you want to reach out to us, let us know what, what your thoughts are. Uh, do so. Visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, Twitter at danger room go, email is danger room at xmenpodcast.com. You can subscribe, uh, leave stars and feedback at iTunes. And we only see the U.S., generally the U.S. version of the iTunes feedback, but I'm sure all regions are appreciated. Sometimes we've scraped those additional regions, but it's a lot of work. Yeah, every couple of years, I'll take like a couple of hours and go through all the regions to see if there's any notes. And it's usually only like Canada, Great Britain. Sometimes it's others. Sure. But for the most part, it comes up with nothing. Yeah, okay. Uh, you can go out to patreon.com slash danger room where we're, well, where we've been talking about uh, the the latest, well, I don't even know what you call it anymore, Eve of X, Day of X. I think it's in the Reign of X. Now. Reign of X, sure. So the latest stuff there. Uh, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. And I don't really have anything else, Adam, do you? No, no, no. This is... Uh... This was a lot of stuff. More than enough? Definitely. Okay. <laughs> well then, uh, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. <laughs> <laughs>